your favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. presentation with Mike and Ethan, or Elf Will Not Be Seen Tonight. What we're doing tonight is a sort of sequel to something that we did a long time ago, but Mike wasn't there for it, so once again, we're dropping him in blind for the second week in a row. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I am aware of this thing. I mean, of the uh, source material, at least. So it's less so than with, uh, what was what did we watch last week? Crayon Shin-Chan? Like, yeah. Right. Like, well, actually, yes. I Crayon Shinchan. I was aware of the name. This one, I have slightly more awareness in. Like, I know what it is, though I've never actually read it. Uh, s- several years ago, I got together with our friend uh, Morb, who we haven't we haven't seen for a while, except for Halloween. But uh, she she joined me for. Oh no! Wait, wait, no wait. That wasn't. That's right. We did the little. Yeah, we did the little Abner movie together, and. Uh, Yep, and little Abner, of course, the creation of uh, of Al Cap, which was basically, you know, one of those things that completely defines American culture, and now it has disappeared, and nobody knows what it was anymore. Kind of, kind of like the Ed Sullivan Show, and Mad Magazine. <laughs> those wow! Kind of yeah, happen a lot. Well, time makes fools of us all. Yes, you know. It's like when um, I, apparently uh, my wife, who uh, teaches, was t- was trying to use some examples in her class from Star Trek, and the kids were all like, "What is this thing?" And that that kind of threw me for a loop because I never really watched Star Trek, you know, original series, but my youth in the '80s and '90s, all the media was made by people who grew up in the '60s, so they all knew it. So of course, everything had a Star Trek parody in it, and mm-hmm. I just assumed. Because I saw all this like uh, secondary Star Trek uh, mentions that it was a perennial part of American culture that would always be part of what defines American culture, and it turns out no, it disappeared just like the Ed Sullivan Show and Mad Magazine and Al Cap's uh, uh, Little Abner. Although actually, yes. Mad Magazine still exists, but I believe it sucks now. Uh, and Mad Magazine is only existing in reprints anymore. They don't do oh. new material. So yeah, wow, wow, that's a, the, that's a shell a of its former of, self. Yeah, um, kind of like what like, happened to Cracked. Yeah, Cra- Cracked uh, was doing that for a while, and then they completely recreated themselves as a you know genuinely good uh, internet humor site with a lot of some of the best people who had gotten started with uh, the internet humor as we know it and then they were like okay we're moving to another to another city and we're firing all of you (laughs) yep didn't they do the same they did the same thing the onion did where they just decided to pivot to like i don't know like a listicle ai or something yeah the onion av club did that uh what a world thankfully the onion itself is still pretty good but you know I, i don't feel like we can count on anything to retain its quality anymore 
nope, everything's, you know, it's uh, it's the fire sale in America. We're just going to pull the the wiring out of everything and sell it off. And then, uh, and then you can just, instead we'll get this gray AI sludge. Uh, cool. Anyway, but the thing that we're talking about today, it has nothing to do with that. It has, Thank we're, God. we're talking about, yes, we're talking about fearless Fosdick. Um, now my knowledge of this is this was a comic within a comic in little Abner, little Abner's favorite comic strip was fearless Fosdick. And occasionally he would read it, and it would basically just turn. And little Abner would just turn into the Fearless Fosdick comic, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of. I guess this is like if if Peanuts became the Joe Slobotnik comic for like <laughs> a, a week, you know. Um, I, I'm I mean, trying well, to think. I mean, Joe, yeah, is there is there a fictional thing in Peanuts? Oh, the Six Little Bunny Oneies. They could be that. Oh, that's right. That's right. There you go. Or if, like, Calvin Hobbes suddenly became Hamster Huey. Yeah, know? yeah. Or if Burfield actually did a week of uh, strips that were just, you know, showing us what was happening on Binky the Clown. Actually, you're right, because Binky is kind of, is like that, because we do have clowning around with Binky on the Garfield show. Yeah. And since Binky is a show within a show, it is, yeah, he is basically like Fear- the Fearless Fosdick of Garfield. Mm-hmm. And now, kids, it's time for Screaming with Fosdick. <laughs> now, uh, Fosdick is is a, a spoof of Dick Tracy, which apparently yes. Al Cap was a big fan of. Yes, as, and we're not exactly sure if Chester Gould, the creator of Dick Tracy, was as big a fan of Al Cap. Well, he probably was because everyone was a fan of Al Cap during yeah. like the 40s, was, uh, wasn't he? Before yeah. he went on his uh, nationwide anti-woke college campus tour. <laughs> um, now, if I... I I, I remember now. Now, those of you who don't know much about Al Cap, and that includes me, should probably go and listen to the little Abner episode because Morb really go does a deep dive into the the rise and fall of Al Cap, yeah. and it is uh, fascinating. Um, yeah. How if you, and if you want a deeper dive, you can go to the book that she uh, accumulated a lot of it from, which is the biography of Al Cap by Dennis Kitchen of Kitchen Sink Press. You know, it's it's nice that Al Cap's even Al Cap's biographer is like, what a piece of shit. If you think about it, Al, I mean, to just to uh, kind of kind of uh, say it in terms that his audience might understand. Just imagine that Al Cap was kind of the J.K. Rowling of his time, uh, the guy who had it all and burned up all his goodwill. Um, I, I think, in fact, very in very similar circumstances, because didn't he just get mad at, like, women's livers and, like, integration? Yeah. And went on this tour where he just, like, groped every co-ed in the country while being, like, drunk as a skunk? Yeah, or maybe yelling, that- yelling at uh, John and Yoko for their sit-in, and, and also the quality of his work went way the hell down. Sound familiar, JK? <laughs> yeah well that's what happens you know you go anti-woke you go broke mm-hmm. um now i believe i can't remember like if he was a drunk at the time was was he drunk i feel sure like he, he was, was. Yeah. yeah i might be mixing up with walt kelly because i feel like we have more on here to, to always to discuss yeah, she said our, that they were our both drunkest cartoonists <laughs> i shouldn't laugh but um but yeah uh, apparently that's a running theme when we have Morb on the program. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, Fearless Fosdick is um, uh, kind of a, a spoof of 
Dick Tracy. I think I've said that like four times now. Yes. Um, What's funny is that we're looking at Fearless Fosdick before we've ever done anything about Dick Tracy. Oh, well, we will have to watch a Dick Tracy movie at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I am looking forward to when we finally dip our toe into the, you know, almost Dick Tracy-free Dick Tracy cartoon. Oh, that's right, because it, uh, it has that bulldog and a bunch of racial stereotypes who yes. do most of the crime fighting. Uh, yeah, now, I what, actually... What a disappointment. Jeez. Yeah. Now I actually um, re- now I've never read Fearless Fosdick, but I have read a lot of Dick Tracy. I, uh, oh. I actually remember reading Dick Tracy a lot when I was a kid in the comics page, oh. and um, there I, I will say this about Dick Tracy: never ever has there been a strip that has so much filler. <laughs> it is, it is just like literally. It will be one day Dick Tracy will be pointing and says, "Look," and the next day. It will be Dick Tracy uh, saying, pointing and saying, look, and then there'll be a picture of another guy that he's pointing to. And the next day, it'll be Dick Tracy pointing and saying, look, from a different angle. And then the next day, it'll just be a picture of the guy he's pointing to. Literally, it will take a week for like, like, like anything to happen. Because I guess whoever was uh, drawing Dick Tracy in the late 80s and early 90s, I'm sure not the original Dick Tracy cartoonist, was like, you know what, I, I just, you know, drawing comics is hard. What if there was a better way? <laughs> and that better way is just just the same, the same panel for a week. Anyway, um, but Phyllis Fosdick. Yeah, Fosdick, on the other hand, is does not have the same panel for a week. Well, partly because it wasn't running in the 90s. So they actually had, you know, not to sound too much like Bill Watterson, but they actually had space to draw some funny pictures and tell a story. Yes. So Fosdick looks kind of just like Dick Tracy, except he has a jaw to match that Dick Tracy nose. And uh, he used to wear a Dick Tracy hat, but... Since this show, he started wearing a bowler hat, which is significantly more uh, more distinctive. And Fearless Fosdick, you know, when you f- take a look at Fearless Fosdick, you will know exactly what his voice sounds like. I, when I first heard him on this show, I was like, that is, that is the voice I heard in my head the whole time I was reading his comics. Yeah, Fearless Fosdick, I have to say, very good character design. Yes. Like you, you look at him, and like you said, you immediately know everything you need to know about him, including his voice, which they got exactly right in this uh, adaptation. Yes. Um, now you're saying this adaptation is where they changed his hat to a bowler. So yeah, he used to so have Al- a more explicitly Dick Tracy inspired yellow fedora. I have to say that, like, I think that's a wise choice. I feel like Al Cap saw this marionette and was like, you know what, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, uh, but the other thing is looking at some Phyllis Fosdick comics that are available online. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I do notice that is very different between Fearless Fosdick and the property that he was lampooning, uh, Bill, mm-hmm. p- not Bill Cosby. Why did I say Bill Cosby? Bill Cosby. Uh, <laughs> Dick Tracy. There, no, there's no relation between those two guys. No, not even the same name. I don't know why I was saying, thinking Bill Cosby. Um, Warren Beatty is Bill Cosby. <laughs> Well, I will say this. Um, Al Cap definitely drew hotter women in Fearless Fosdick than any Dick Tracy. Uh, Dick Tracy 
not good at drawing the ladies. Uh-uh. Not good at drawing anything, really, if you think about it. Uh, Al Cap is definitely one of those guys. He's like um, he's like Frank Cho. He really likes drawn titties. Mm-hmm. And, and that's probably, I mean, I think he's also famous for stupefying Jones, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of his thing. So I guess it makes sense why he went to that drunken co-ed groping tour, you know. <laughs> it was it was research for his uh for his comic strip. Uh, anyway, um, the other but, thing about uh, Fearless Fosdick that everyone remembers is the extreme cartoonish violence that even surpassed some of the violent ends that some of uh, Dick Tracy's villains would come to. There's. Yeah, the uh, collect the collection of Fearless Fosdick books that you can buy on you know in stores now has Fosdick giving a sharp salute while huge clean cut holes get knocked through his body, including one big enough for a bird to fly through. <laughs> well, that's good because I feel like um, uh, I feel like that that is the the that is Al Cap for all his you know, faults is a man who understood the assignment that when you, when you do a spoof of a violent comic, you make the spoof more violent than the original. Yes. Otherwise, what's the point? That kind of mad magazine lampoon violence where, you know, you always got to have the flintlock with the bean shooter with the plunger. And then, you know, somebody gets shot through the heart and they put a bandaid on. And then there's the, and then there's the hydrogen bomb explosion. Yes. (laughs) All right, so let's see. What do we know about Fearless Fosdick, the comic? Fearless um, yeah, Fearless Fosdick uh, is a, you know, as a parody of Dick Tracy, he also he also fights the thing that people most remember Dick Tracy for, which is bizarrely malformed villains. <laughs> well, the one they you show know, as he should. In this, on Wikipedia is Bombface, who literally has a bomb for a head and looks like, you know, an evolved bomb from Super Mario. And it looks like the it's, one that everyone really remembers is a villain called Anyface, who could actually sort of pull his face all out of shape like Silly Putty and make himself look like anybody. And the which uh, led to one of I one of the only Fosdick stories I read all the way through involved uh, involved Little Abner getting more and more worked up as uh, Anyface fooled Fosdick over and over again until Fosdick found out that if you put put him in a sauna that was like over if you wrote if you raised his body temperature to like 105 degrees or something then any face's face would melt so he rounded up every single suspect who could have been any face and got into the sauna with them to find out which one he was and the and we follow uh, little Abner as he gets more and more worked up as the comic goes on, and then finally, it's Fosdick himself whose face begins to melt. <laughs> and he's like, wait, Fosdick himself is any face? So he runs to the newspaper to find out what could happen, because he can't wait for next week, only to find cartoonist uh, Lester Gooch being uh, pulled away in a straitjacket. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have to say the that the that sounds pretty inspired. It does, 
and then he has to wait for him to get out of the sanitarium and you know he comes out all clean cut and like I'm a new man I'm ready to face life again and he's like oh does that mean you're ready to tell finish up the story of uh, Fosdick and any face he's like what I told you I'm sane now how can I draw a comic strip <laughs> Now, of course, uh, uh, besides any face, uh, other villains apparently include hamburger face, spinach face, banana face, and carrot top. Wow! So, I mean, they may you know they may be uh, villainous, but they're part of the part of a balanced diet. <laughs> so yeah, it's very much yeah in the spirit of uh, of Dick Tracy. Um, it's it, it very very much like they're basically like tick enemies. <laughs> yeah, if you saw the. If you read the ticket issue with uh, Chairface Chippendale, and now he has villains like uh, like Zipperneck and the Brow and the guy with ears like little raisins, that's all a big Dick Tracy riff there. Yeah, and of yeah. course, and of course, the bizarre guy who looks just like Peter Lorre. <laughs> oh, is that like a villain in the Tick? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He even appears in the uh, cartoon, and he has the voice too. Oh, I don't remember that guy. Um, all right. So, um, I guess, so this was an, so what we're looking at today is an adaptation of Fearless Fosdick into the medium of puppets. Yes. This is, how many puppet shows have we done so far? We did, uh, Miss Peach early on and, uh, and the, the thing with, uh, the Wizard of Id with the Muppets. Is this, yes. Have we only done those puppet shows so far? Not um, many. Not many comic strips get adapted into puppets. No, no. Um, I, I, I do think like those... I would Foxtrot make a good puppet show. I think it would. Um, well, I think if, if nothing else, watching Fearless Fosdick really, really drives home the fact that everything is better with puppets because puppets make things fun. They do. And this, what's interesting, this this episode that we watched is from 1951, so it's kind of the state of puppets pre-Muppets. Ah, uh, this was before Jim Henson really revolutionized the whole, uh, you know, the the, yes. the, the, pu- the world of puppetry. Yeah. Uh, so this is, yeah, this is, uh, these are marionettes. So, yeah. I don't yeah. think... The most famous marionettes are Bill Baird's marionettes, who appeared in The Sound of Music and the beloved Rift Tracks short uh, Telezonia, among other things. Oh, <laughs> I, I am not familiar with those. Um, <laughs> the, the, my, my main knowledge of marionettes is from the Augsburger Puppenkiste. Oh, yes, um, I remember that one. I remember you yeah. talking about that. They've got yeah, so it's like uh, I love to watch uh, Monte Spinnerats and uh, Jim Knopf, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, they're they're basically I'd say they they com- they're basically comparable to this. It's very much the same sort of thing. Um, marionettes are interesting because in a, in a sense they feel like you're a little more limited in what you can do than with, yeah. you know, a hand puppets. Cause I feel like with a hand puppet, you really can like scrunch up the face. You can really like get really animated and do all sorts of emotional things with it. Where a marionette, you're just kind of making them bob around. Yeah. But, they, they can bob and they have, you know, very limited facial uh, expressions too. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, watching this, it I was I was impressed with what they that they were still able to do so much with so little, you know. 
Uh, it really shows like marionettes because they did a lot of things in this that were like I won't say like brilliant or anything, but like they 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 um I don't know. It was one of those things where I was watching this and I was like, if they did this like live action or even like animated, I'd be like, this is okay. But the fact that it's puppets, I'm like, I like this. This is fun. It's it's making me smile because because they're puppets. Yeah. Now, the thing is, about them being puppets, I feel like the intention was that they couldn't really sell the ultra-violence and Fosdick getting holes knocked through his body with animation or people. It had to be puppets. But then they didn't do that in the puppets. Um, yeah, we only watched the first episode. Did, yeah, that's like, true. Did there, they, might have, t- there might have been more, but I've read that it was missing the uh, ultra-violent gunplay and stuff. Yeah, I mean, considering it was 1951 on television, I mean, they were pro- yeah. the censors were probably like, nope, nope, none of that. But people want violence? Nope. Uh, you know how it was back then in the 50s. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that, like, the, um, you know, the Bureau of Un-American Activities was like, we don't want any of that shit or something. Um, but, um, so how long, how many episodes did this thing last? Uh, it looks like there were about pu- 13. So, okay, so that's about, um, let's about see. One season. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I, um, I have a question very quickly. I, I have to derail. But earlier, uh, we were talking, did you say, like, we weren't sure, we weren't sure about, like, um, Chester Gold's reaction to this? Oh, no. Yeah, I did. I mean, okay, because it turns little- out, <laughs> um, I, I, I just found that apparently, Chester Gold did not find it very funny. Mm. Um, because apparently, uh, newspaper editor is wanted, uh, Fosdick to actually be its own strip, but, um, so he felt uh, like it was cutting in on his action. Yeah. So he, uh, says, according to Wikipedia, gold was probably also probably less than enamored of his own unflattering portrayal in the character of Fosdick's creator, Lester Gooch. And even Since. the even the uh, signature in Fearless Fosdick is a parody of Chester Gould's signature. <laughs> so, <laughs> gotta say, Al Cap really went the distance. I mean, he yeah. really, you know. And, you know, I uh, appreciate that. If you're gonna do, you know, if you're gonna do a parody, go the whole way. Don't, you know, don't just, you know, don't clock out early for golf. Yeah, I mean, it really shows. Like, uh, again, I'm I'm gonna do. Do you remember like that like that show, uh, a Black Mirror? Yeah, I've only seen like a couple of episodes, but yeah. Yeah, like this is this is a perfect example of that sort of thing. So there's an episode of Black Mirror where uh, a cartoon bear runs for president of England. So their version of a president, I guess that'd be a prime minister. Yeah, prime minister. Thank you. Uh, they have an election. A cartoon bear is is runs for uh, prime minister, and um, what they did is uh, they were like, okay, so so like. In the end of the episode, they they the the writers were like, "Well, we can't have the bear win, right? That would be too silly." <laughs> yeah, of course you could. Exactly. So they had they had the bear act as a spoiler, and so like a bad candidate won instead of the good candidate because the bear was like the cartoon bear, like oh you know it was like a spoiler. And the thing is, they made they ran they ran this episode during the first Trump. Uh, presidential campaign and they were and, and it's very obviously like 
a, a, a commentary on Trump's campaign, mm-hmm. but they were like, no, 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 but obviously we can't have the bear win. That would be too much. And it's like, you know, what is the point of your dystopian satire when reality is sillier than you're willing to be in your in your fiction? Because, first of all, the whole point of doing dystopian satire is to go the distance and to have the ridiculous thing happen to show, you know, oh, wow, it makes you think. But you guys don't have the courage of your convictions. Mm-hmm. And that's why I can't take that fucking show seriously. People are always like, oh, Black Mirror, oh, it makes you think about, like, uh, what if computers threaten our civil liberties? It's like, yeah, but, like, they're doing it. The computers are doing that way more in real life than... Uh, than in uh, the TV show about the future. So yeah. what are you going to do? What's the point of this? Anyway, yeah, Love, Death, and Robots was better. Oh yeah, that was that. Now that was good. That was some good shit. Mm-hmm. Um, we should do that. Uh, technically, that is like the third. Uh, what you call it? Uh, heavy metal movie. So technically, oh, we yeah, could do it that. Is. Oh yeah, we should look yeah. at the uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah, it'd be better yeah. than you know. Here's. Yeah, I found the conversation we had where we we you said pretty much all those things a few years ago, and uh, more basically sums uh, Black Mirror up as "What if your dog was a phone?" <laughs> She's right. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Oh my god! So did I? I, I like how I, I I said this exact thing before. Yeah. And, <laughs> Because I do that a lot. I I tend to repeat myself. Okay. And uh And Ethan, you're all like, yeah, I've heard this before. I can pull it up. I can pull up the exact conversation we had. Yeah, I'm like, I got receipts. Yeah, and it's funny. Like, I had, we had this exact conversation, and then Morb actually, like, puts a little stinger on it with an actual, like, good joke. So, naturally, we're, naturally we're having this episode without the one person who's funny. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Just us blathering. That's not fair. I mean, you, you've got some good ones, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, do you want to hear what I said? What did you say? My response was, well, if your dog was a phone, it would be just like Black Mirror. Toothless. Oh! Oh, that's good, actually. <laughs> oh, that is really good. Damn. <laughs> I'm standing Take on the shoulders of giants Mirror, here. You've just been Ethan. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be... Oh, man. I wouldn't want to be Black Mirror right now. I bet their face is so red. I bet their <laughs> mirror is so black. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're black and red and white all over. Wait, no. That's not the way that goes. <laughs> all right. Anyway. Father, I cannot click the book. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Fearless Fosnick. Well, I don't remember why we're talking about Black Mirror. I'm sure there's a big point to that. But the important thing is Fearless Fosdick, uh, they did not have any puppet violence. No. Um, in fact, yeah, I think really like Jim Henson invented the concept of puppet violence because, yeah. you know, before that, you know, puppets could kind of, well, I guess Punch and Judy could kind of hit each other. But yeah. like it wasn't like where Jim Henson's like every skit is going to end with something exploding. Yeah. He himself once said, in the early days of the Muppets, we had two endings. Either one creature would eat the other, or else they both blew up. Yeah, I remember, like, he had the whole, like... I mean, Wilkins Coffee was just, like, built on that premise. Yeah. So... And I have a wonderful uh, DVD of, speaking of, uh, Ed Sullivan bits by Jim Henson from the early days of the Muppets, from pre-Sesame Street... And he's right. They literally do end with, you know, one, either something gets eaten or else there's an explosion or something eats something else and then there's an explosion. 
<laughs> now, how did they do the explosions uh, live on Ed Sullivan? I mean, uh, a uh, usually with a fire extinguisher. Oh wow! See, that's that's practical effects. Yes. You know, or, you know um, my my all time favorite one is the one with a couple of kind of grumpy looking puppets who are grumbling this song about business, business, earnings up seven point two percent, business, business, and then a couple of other puppets start singing about you know love, brotherhood, friendship, culture, beauty, art, and they start pulling their heads into their necks and firing like cannons at each other. And eventually the ah, two... Ah, yes. Yeah, the two friendly hippie creatures win, and then they're like, peace, success, victory, opportunity, benefits, growth, wealth, diversity, business, business, business. Well, you know what? I feel like Jim Henson just, you know, cut the entire hippie movement's dick off right there. <laughs> I mean, he was, he wasn't wrong. Yep. I mean, he, he had seen not... it from that side. He had seen how as to quote a Whitney Brown, it was a rare hippie who wouldn't turn Republican. If you promised him a few bucks off his taxes. I mean, that's exactly what happened. I mean, you know, how, how many, uh, how many hippies stayed true to the ideals of the movement? Uh, my dad, which is why we couldn't buy a house until, uh, tw until, uh, 1997. Yeah, but your dad wasn't a hippie. He was a freak. Uh, yeah, he was the real thing. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I mean, that's how you know. Because uh, hippies were just... I think they just made up hippies for, like, movies. About, like, you know... <laughs> yeah, about, I mean, like, uh, no. That's, it's well known that when you were living on Hate Street or whatever, you know, when a a tour van full of gawkers came by. That was when you went out on the street and started playing your bongos and uh, yelling random nonsense and quoting Karl Marx and stuff. Cause that was part of the show. <laughs> and then they threw you some quarters, huh? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> what a, what a gig, man. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get on this. Yeah. Well, you know, back in those days you could live on a uh, hate Ashbury for quarters, you know, yeah. uh, not like today. Uh, uh, well, uh, hate Ash. No, if you go to Hate Ashbury, you know you can go to all sorts of like you know overpriced fusion restaurants uh, <laughs> that have like pictures of like wavy gravy on the wall. Uh, um, the well, Ashbury there's a recipe gone. There. Yeah, now it's uh, there's just a recipe hate. there. <laughs> um, and there's a there there's um, uh, let me think. Is there anything else on Hate Ashbury? It's been a long time since I've been there. It's um one of those things where it's like oh yeah it's yeah this this is where it happened is that this is where Margaret they chose family had a bookstore <laughs> oh did they have one in real life i thought that only happened in all american girl uh it was it was part of her uh stand-up act i don't know how true it is but it, it, there's uh, a whole bit about how her family owned a bookstore and they were like in the gay district or something and uh and, oh i uh, thought the was it what? a book? I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was a video rental. Hmm. Well, that was. Well, I mean, it was the '60s, or, or at least like the. Maybe it was the. Maybe it was the '70s or '80s. I forget how old she is. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I remember. I only. I remember her when she was on All American Girl, when she was playing her teenage self. Yes. And it was like she had to lose there. weight to play herself. <laughs> it was like that suspiciously middle-aged teenager. Mm -hmm. um, that's mean. I mean, she's you know, aging yeah. better than me, but like you know. <laughs> Um, but Asian uh, better than you. Oh yeah, that too. But I'm just saying, is like I remember seeing the show and being like, well, she's 
clearly not a teenager. But you know what? Uh, she's it's doing the Steve Buscemi "Hello, fellow young people" thing. But you know what? But uh, but I got no beef with Margaret Cho. She's no, I like she's, her. Yeah, yeah, she's good. You know, I li- as far I as I like know, two things: Margaret Cho and ass. Yeah. <laughs> I I I like both of those things as well. <laughs> Actually, I'm not a big fan of ass, so I guess it's just like one thing. But uh... oh, well, I mean, well, different strokes. Um, yeah. I still like two things, but <laughs> but we were speaking of Muppet, exploding Muppets and puppet yes, violence. Mu- yes, puppet violence. Yeah, yeah. Jim Henson was you know because he made puppets that were easily repairable, and I can't you know just imagining how much of the life of a marionette puppeteer must be given over to untangling the damn strings. Yeah. Um, that's the thing is I feel like if you're a Mary, if you're doing marionettes, you're pretty much like you're at that point where it's like, I really do not want these, these uh, puppets to interact in any way. You know, like yeah, I want to keep know, the puppets absolutely far ruins things. If the strings touch and they start swinging around each other. Yes. Um, which again, that's why I was like, I was impressed with how much they did in this fearless Fosdick adaptation, yes. considering the limitations of the marionette medium. Mm-hmm. Um, now the uh, this this is episode one of the fearless of thirteen uh, mm-hmm. fearless Fosdick, and this is from nineteen fifty one. And it says it aired in nineteen fifty two, but yeah, same oh, okay. same difference. Yeah, and um, it is it is a plot that I believe every single uh, ni- th- that happened about five million times throughout the nineteen forties. Boy, was this is a very common plot. I have seen this so many times, and and you've seen it too. We've all yes. seen it. We know this plot. Everyone it's, knows the plot where the haunted house isn't really haunted, but it has trap doors and stuff to make you think it's haunted because they're doing something sneaky in there. Yes, exactly. Uh, Scooby-Doo made a whole series based on yes. this premise, but before Scooby-Doo, uh, this was a thing that you would see a lot in 1940s stuff. Um, I, I, also, I can't. The word give... "haunted" hadn't quite seemed to be nailed down because often they would say a house was haunted, and then you it would have like gorillas and octopuses in it. Yeah, I was. Um, I was about to comment on the how common gorillas are in haunted houses of this time period. Uh, haunted houses. Haunted uh, houses. Haunted houses. houses. Yeah, like I. I feel like. I don't know, Abbott and Costello were in like a dozen different haunted houses with gorillas. Or they just kept meeting gorillas in these things. Gorillas yeah. are a big thing. Um, I mean, there must and, have been a haunted house in Brooklyn because that's where Bella Lugosi met the Brooklyn gorilla, right? Yeah, that's right. I can't believe that there was a, a gorilla in Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, what are the odds of that? But... <laughs> uh, so, so basically what the, the, the plot is, there's some some crooks they're these two counterfeiters and they set up shop in a haunted house and they dress up to scare people away and uh they because it starts out with some random guy coming into the house and yeah, getting this guy menaced. looks kind of like mortimer snurd i thought he would be a yeah. character but he's not no he's just some random guy who i guess he's the um I guess he's the 1940s equivalent of, you know, your modern ghost bro YouTuber type guy, you know, (laughs) 
like, because uh, nowadays if you're investigating a haunted house, you get like four very excitable dude bros and matching black shirts to go in and just like yell at the ghost but in 1940s you get like a guy in like a pinstriped suit with like the double lapels and the um uh i think he yeah he the mortimer snurd looking dude um but he goes in he gets menaced by gorilla and runs away and the counterfeiters are like good if news gets if news gets out that this house is haunted people won't bother us and it's like that is the exact opposite of what is going to happen. No. <laughs> no, what we're going to get is people like you legend tripping. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, come on. Uh, Ethan, have you ever legend tripped? Uh, I, I was hoping to do it with you sometime, but no, I haven't actually done IRL. Yeah, you know, well, next time next time you come, we're going to do it. Um, yeah, actually, cause... every time I visit you, you take me to show take me to see like uh graveyards and stuff so i feel like we've already kind of halfway done it so oh you know, yeah we during the daytime. Have. yeah that's true um i guess it's, it's better to do it at night though you yeah. know i uh, remember plus, going to see that like uh, abandoned schoolhouse or whatever that was pretty cool oh that's right um there's a bunch of pioneer cemeteries up here uh one of them we actually found by accident in the middle of the night and you could get into it so that was kind of cool mm-hmm. um but um yeah yeah it's uh it's a neat thing i do believe if you're gonna do a legend trip proper i think you're supposed to go there and get drunk um mm. i think that's what teenagers usually do um but um probably not that a good feels idea like that yeah that just feels like making it so you can't believe your senses it's like well, I yeah mean, yeah maybe i saw a ghost i don't know i was drunk I mean, I get, I get that. That makes sense in some way because if you're impaired, you're like probably more like afterwards you're like maybe I did see a ghost. I don't know. But um, I also feel like that probably the idea of of like getting drunk. I feel like the idea of getting drunk in a spooky place probably holds more allure when you're a teenager and you're not supposed to be drunk at all. Yeah. You know, because yeah, like as an adult, it's, sort of it's like, like yeah, it's sort of like having sex in a public bathroom. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's like when you're an adult, it's like, well, I can just drink any time, so who gives a shit? Yeah. I don't need a ghost around to have an excuse, you know? I don't have a problem. Um, but anyway, uh, so this Mortimer Snurd guy is apparently legend tripping, and uh, he gets spooked and runs off. Uh, yeah. We have two counterfeiters here. There's the, the goon and the brains, I guess. Yeah. The goon is dressed up as a hilariously tall gorilla. It really looks yes. more like it's like having Harry of Harry and the Hendersons sneak up on you. <laughs> um, one of the because this is a 1940s joint, um, this was made in the days before television had like soundtracks. Uh, so there's very little music in this, and that means that they're when they're not talking, you just get these long silences, like so of of a gorilla silently walking behind a guy. <laughs> and I really love how the gorilla is sneaking and it looks so like uh dainty. Yeah, like that's actually that's one of the things I think is kind of neat about this. They do communicate a lot of nuance just using puppets, you know. Um they're able to make it like yeah, it does look like they're doing the, like, you know, the do 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 do, you know, kind of sneak. Um and, um, uh, but yeah, um, this guy, 
and the other guy occasionally dresses up like a skeleton. I yeah, think, that's his thing. Yeah, we have the uh, uh, the gorilla's name is Maximilians, and the other guy. Well, he has another name, but I don't remember what it is. It's like so, Milton Mooney, I think. Milton Mooney, that was it. Yeah, he looks like uh, uh, he looks like Orville Redenbacher, and uh, yes. No, and he has a perfectly normal face, whereas uh, Max Millions is one of the single ugliest human faces I've ever seen. <laughs> it's because no he's offense a if you look like Ma- Max Millions, but uh, damn, sorry. He's a he's a classic goon, you know. He's um he's 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 the big he's the big tough, you know. Yeah. Um, now here's here's an. Ex- Here's a uh, exercise you can do to find out what he looks like without looking this uh, this episode up. Now smile as wide as you can and feel the teeth that are at the corners of your mouth when you make the biggest smile you can. Now try to close your mouth. Try cl- you know make make the biggest grin you can and feel the teeth. And now imagine closing your mouth and having those teeth still be visible. That's what he looks like. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a he's a big mouth bully kind of yeah. guy. Um, he laughs a lot too. That's his yeah. thing. Is he's always laughing. He's a he's a jolly guy. Um, but uh, fearless. Fo- but then, luckily, fearless. Fo- they didn't count on fearless Fosdick. Yes, uh, and fearless... fearless Fosdick makes his first appearance, being carried into the police station like a squalling toddler by <laughs> a fr- by the fruit stand guy who is saying who is saying that uh, Fosdick gave him counterfeit money, and he's like, "Well, how do you know?" He's like, "Well, it must be counterfeit. Since when do cops ever pay for their fruit?" Yeah, and then uh, I I thought that was actually the yeah. best joke in this whole thing. Um, <laughs> Also very true. Cops love stealing, you know. Uh, yeah. They, they, uh, they, they'll go. You know, they are uh, not. You know, now they call it civil money. forfeiture. Yeah, or not even just that, but like you know, they they do that. That they love stealing that too. But like you know, a cop will be like walk into a convenience store and just be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this drink. I'm just gonna take it, and you know. You know, and the the store owner will be like, ah, yes, I will give it to you for free. You know, protection money, that sort of yeah. thing. Protect, protection uh, gifts, you might say. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen this. Uh, all, I see it all the time. Um, uh, and and um, But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, cops. But anyway, yeah, and I do like when Fearless Fosdick is like, oh, how else am I supposed to get fruit? And the, and the chief is like, I'll tell you when you're older. <laughs> In that, like, Fearless Fosdick is so naive, he doesn't know how to act like a real cop. But, yeah, um, you know, maybe that's, you know, a, a cab except for Fosdick, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he gets the job done. He actually solves a crime in this. So yeah, when was the last time you saw a cop do that? I've never seen a cop do that. I've never even heard of a cop doing that until mm. Fearless Fosdick. Um, now, Fearless Fosdick, like you said, he's got the voice that you would expect from Fearless Fosdick. Yeah, it's basically uh, it's basically the Sherlock Hemlock voice. Yeah, exactly. That's probably not a coincidence. No, um, I think everyone has the voice you'd expect because there's a chief in this, and it's like I think he's just called the chief, but he's you know he's an Irish guy. He's always like, yeah. yeah so it's like okay, and the fruit seller is all Italian. You know, mm-hmm. it's 1940s, so this is how it is. Um, and then there's and the then, sidekick, Woozily? What was his name? 
like schmoozer. Schmoozer, that's right. Now, schmoozer, now, he's literally a schmoo wearing an yes. outfit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. Um, I One of the things that was kind of neat, though, about this is they do a lot of... I, I, they do a lot of work with the puppet's hands in this. Because schmoozer the way he's holding his hands throughout this really kind of speaks to his character as the bumbling sidekick he just does this he's kind of got them splayed out in this like goofy way um, yeah whereas and Fo- whereas fosdick you know is is has he always has a well, one accusing finger whereas yeah schmoozer's hands are permanent on the whoa 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 hold on a second pose yeah exactly though i noticed actually sometimes fosdick does not have his finger out mm. they they swap hands occasionally yeah in some that's something scenes. you can do when you this you know i wonder if jim henson was aware of this show because this is one you know where you know unlike a lot of the puppet shows of the time they weren't using a puppet stage they were using the screen itself as the stage which is often stated to be Jim Henson's big uh, innovation, because if you look at the other puppet shows that were popular at the time, which would include things like Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, you know, there was always just sort of a puppet stage off to the side, and the host would go over and talk to the puppets who were you know, frozen in this tiny little box. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's right. Because they do... Uh, one thing that I noticed and, and is there's a scene in this where... Um, Fosdick, he falls into like a basement, the, you know, yeah. because of ghosts and he gets like, he gets a, a sack falls on him and he's struggling to get out of this sack and, and, and schmoozer comes down and he's like, Oh, he gets all scared. Right. But right. what they do is like, I thought this was interesting because, because he's basically the, the, the puppet is in a sack now and they have to get, they have to, he has to get his way out of it, right? He has to like get out of this sack. But all you can do when you're the puppeteer is just shake the marionette. So first it was interesting because they obviously kind of cut this sack specially so that if they shook the marionette enough, it would kind of flop off his head. So it's like, oh, okay, that was kind of clever that they did that. And then they immediately cut to see it were kind of falling off him completely. And it reminded me a lot of that bit in the Jim Henson hour where they showed Gonzo picking up a phone and they oh, showed yeah. how they did, you know, they do the cut so that you don't notice that they, you know, that, that they're kind of like changing the thing so that he can pick it up. Um, right. Yeah. And speaking, uh, speaking of the Jim Henson hour, well, if it's a sack, then get in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the storyteller, a classic. <laughs> oh, didn't get enough of that. Oh, Canceled man. before would, its time. Yeah, I would, you know, my, my lottery wish is to uh, fund five more seasons of the storyteller. God, that was so good. Um, but, you know, we didn't get enough Jim Henson hour in general. We didn't get enough Jim Henson in general. But, yeah. Yeah, true that, true that. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I do feel like yeah, like this this uses the, uh, the television screen as a stage in a way, very similar to the way that Jim Henson did and very yeah. unusual for the time period. Uh, so it does make you wonder. Um, yeah, even in uh, the... Like I said, the the Bill and Cora Baird marionettes, you know, even in the context of the Sound of Music, they appear on a puppet stage. So, yeah, um, this one. Uh, so let's see. So they basically, uh, it turns out the count another issue. The counterfeiters is going around and he keeps swindling uh, Fearless Fosdick by getting Fosdick to give him three fives for a ten. Yeah. 
And the second time, Fosdick is like, ah, you can't fool me twice. Now I know there's only two fives for a ten. And uh, he's like, well, you got me. You got two fives for the ten? Oh, sure. <laughs> he says, taking <laughs> the counterfeit money again. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the jokes are pretty funny. They're pretty yes. decent in this. Um, they're, they're not like... I, the best one is the one about cops not paying for fruit. Everything else yeah. is like, yeah, it's all, it's, it's all right. But like the, the puppets elevate the material. They do. The, um, the puppets are, you know, they're very, they are very well puppeted. And I wish I knew more about the actual puppeteers and, you know, puppet fabricators that worked on this show. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So um, basically I guess what happens is then they go, like after he he goes back to the haunted house several times, um, and you know gets spooked by several times, several times by a gorilla and a uh, and a skeleton, and uh, he falls through various trap doors. Yes, and um, let's see. I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of how uh, he's sort of arguing. Uh, uh, protocol with the skeleton while Schmoozer is hiding in the in the the crate. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's funny watching that because yeah, um, you know the whole thing with um, doing like, look, if you're gonna dress up to scare someone, you know, like in a haunted house uh, to get them away from your counterfeiting operation, you really need to like get scare them quick so that they leave because if they hang around, they're gonna notice that you're not a real skeleton. And it's it's funny because he's very obviously not a real skeleton because he's a guy in a suit. I mean, they have like you know a black suit with just a skeleton drawn on it. But Fearless Fosdick continues talking to him as if he's just an actual animated skeleton. Yeah. Now, you know, in full lighting too, so you can just see that's you know that's a real person. But my favorite thing is that he's that you know Fosdick says we're here to inspect this uh, and the skeleton's like do you have a warrant <laughs> so he checks his pockets and he's like well what have I got in my pockets let's see uh, nickel piece of bubble gum dead mouse <laughs> no warrant <laughs> he's carrying around a dead mouse Jesus what is he Lenny <laughs> it's funny because for those Fosdick people are like no I don't I have reasonable suspicion <laughs> um but yeah, so he um try to think like is anything what what do they do when they're bumbling around in this house? I know there's a lot of like that thing where they like schmoozer and Foz to kind of walk around corners into each other. Yeah. Um, you know, uh they oh, they what's... swing on a chandelier at one point, which is, you yeah. know, fairly well done. Yeah, um, it was really well done. And uh oh, also oh, in the meantime, in between uh haunted house visits, uh Max visits uh, he he visits uh, Fosdick's house while he's in his bed clothes and offers him a whole bunch of those counterfeit tens, which he takes. And so basically, they found a way for to finger Fosdick for being the counterfeiter because Fosdick is so impossibly stupid. <laughs> oh, that's right. In fact, yeah, yeah that Fosdick might be the single stupidest character we've ever had on this show. I mean, that's saying something. Uh, and that's why Fosdick has to solve the crime by 3 o'clock, because that's when the chief has to serve the subpoena, because the DA uh, believes that Fosdick is actually the uh, the counterfeiter, because he is the one who keeps passing these counterfeit $5 bills. 
So, yeah, they, they end up, they head back to the uh, haunted house one more time. This is when we get the great scene with the sack you mentioned. And, yes. Uh, also, we get, uh, we get Fosdick doing the man in the mirror routine with the, with the gorilla. Yeah, that was actually, I mean, interesting because, um, you know, obviously it's, uh, they have the gorilla puppet on the other side of, you know, the mirror, which is just, you know, a, a hole cut in the wall. Um, and then when Schmoozer comes along, Schmoozer has, does have a reflection though in yeah, the mirror. So, so the gorilla was behind them. He wasn't actually in the mirror. So I guess Fosdick is just dumb enough to not even look at himself in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it, it's again uh it's it's some interesting you know they it's uh there's a lot of um uh staging jokes in that bit considering they're using puppets yeah because it's like we need two schmoozer puppets now so that we can have the schmoozer reflection actually i think it was a mirror and we were just seeing the gorilla and the reflected but not uh Fosdick. oh oh so they actually did use a mirror there yeah, that's actually even more impressive because that means they had to like position it just in the the camera in the right way so that we would see the gorilla in the reflection and but not see Fosdick's reflection and uh, they also had to basically you know get the two puppets to um, you know do the same things in sync as well because you know like Fosdick scratches his head and the gorilla yeah. scratches his head that sort of thing, um, but. It's a sort of thing that like is seems like it would be very easy to do if you weren't dealing with puppets. Yeah. And that makes it, you know, slightly more slightly more difficult to stage these things. That's um, the thing that's frust- got to be frustrating about working with puppets is that you have to work so hard to make things not be noticed. Yeah, yeah. Um and um you know, they do a fairly good job in this. Yeah. Um you know, we don't want to sound like we're gushing, but this is really impressive for 1951. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all it's all very like. Um, well, you know, it's all like. Yeah, I, I I think if I were watching this in 1951, I would have been all like, "Gee, Willikers, this is just dandy. <laughs> this is uh, this is 23 Skidoo, or now, whatever people said then." My favorite thing is okay. So uh, Schmoozer gets dragged away by the gorilla, and Fosdick comes out to look for him. Meets the skeleton and says, uh, "Did you see a gorilla go by here?" And the skeleton says, "They went that way." So I was like, "Hey!" The skeleton used "they" as a in, as a non sexualized uh, <laughs> pronoun. Oh, a, like, a hey. third, yeah, third person gender neutral, huh? Yeah, and in 1951, well, it was a thing. So, wow. Then, so, oh, I was gonna say so. All those, all those, uh, all those people nowadays throwing a big old damn fit. Look at Fearless Fosdick doing it yeah. way back in 1951. Yeah, and then what was Fosdick say to the skeleton? Thank you, sir or ma'am, as the case may be. Oh, well, so, uh, yeah, and he didn't even demand to know which bathroom the skeleton was using. Wow, I can't believe that Fearless Fosdick went woke. Ugh. <laughs> this is, uh, it's, it's terrible. It's about ethics in uh, marionette puppetry. <laughs> I, 
I wonder about Schmoozer. I don't think he actually appeared in the comics. I wonder if they actually made a Schmoo puppet and decided to uh, make it a character. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. The Schmoo is such a weird thing. Yeah. Because um, what your great grandpa I mean, thought was hip. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's uh. I mean, it's not not that the idea of the shmoo is weird, though that is also weird. No, the, the just, idea of the shmoo is kind of brilliant. The idea of, you know, a naturally, you know, what would happen if there was such a fountain of wealth that people didn't need to work? Yeah. Oh, wait, is that what it's about? Yeah, I, I don't know if you know this about the shmoo, but the shmoo, the whole point of the shmoo is that it serves all of humanity's needs. It, you know, you can... You can cook it in different ways to make every kind of meat. It produces vegetables. Its eyes make make great shoe buttons. It's more fun to play with than any toy, and they reproduce like rabbits. So, oh, I I thought they just did like weird shape changing things. No, no, that's that. I I guess that was uh, how they figured out. You know, that was the only way they could uh, make it work in the context of a cartoon. But no, the whole point of the shmoo is that uh, it's it destroyed the world economy when uh, Little Abner discovered them and uh, let them loose. Oh, I did not know that because I am more familiar with the shmoo when he uh, joined up with uh, Fred and Barney when they became cops. Yes. For which, which, whenever I think about that, it's like a lot of decisions went into that. It's like, <laughs> what if Fred and Barney? You know, you know, remember Fred and Barney, the Flintstones? What if they became cops? All right. What if they also hung out with the Shmoo from Little Abner? Okay. I mean, I and guess. the Shmoo didn't, like, lay whole lit birthday cakes, and instead it just morphed into things like uh, Gloop and Gleep. Yeah, and it just talked like Frank Welker. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, so, I, I... So many decisions. Like, yeah, that is so weird. I'm just... I never... I'm just, so I remember seeing as a kid and being like, well, that's not a dinosaur. What, what is it doing there? What is this thing? <laughs> I, I don't understand. Egg? <laughs> yeah. It's like, look, at least call it a Shmooosaurus. I mean, come on. You're doing violence to the very concept of the Flintstones with this. But that was when we got into, I think that was when we were in the Flintstone, the, the Pebbles and Bam Bam comedy variety hour era. Yes. Where it was, was just the, like. Yeah, remember, it was the sequel to Fred and Barney Meet the Thing. Boy, they, that was when they were really just you know scraping the bottom. They're like, we we uh, we. It's like we need to like wring a little more blood out of this turnip before we just give up and start pushing the Roman holidays. Yeah, um, this is this is what Buzz was talking about when he was uh, talking about how you know the important thing was that it was a name you recognized, not that it was anything anyone cared about. You know, yep, that's why he yep. he was trying. They were trying to get Bazooka Joe and the Pet Boys to have their own shows. <laughs> uh, it's too bad we never got a Pet Boys show. I bet that would have been a a thing. <laughs> the Pet Boys meet the Shmoo. How many how many advertising mascots have gotten their own shows? I mean, there was the California Raisin show. Uh, I feel like the Cool Spot had a show. Maybe Did he? I don't know. The Geico no? Caveman. Uh, that's true that didn't last very long but no, that was that was something nobody asked for uh, yeah surprisingly the gecko never had a show and no no uh, i'm trying to Chester think Chita uh, had a couple of video games but never a show it's true um max headroom had a show didn't he yeah that's true max, max headroom is sort of weird in that he was he advertised one soft drink and then the other so <laughs> 
Yeah, Max Max Headroom is like bizarre because didn't he start as some sort of weird like in a weird like cyberpunk dystopian satire sci-fi movie, and then they were like, "What if we use that guy to sell coke and then Pepsi?" Yeah, and and you know, he just became a celebrity uh, unconnected to anything, kind of like Alf. Yeah, uh, and then oh, do you remember? And then there was Ernest who advertised yeah. like a dozen different products which i always thought was weird you know it's like they yeah, we just have advertising this character. he'll advertise your product in your area yeah it's just so weird because it's like usually it's like i every other advertising character i associate with a product but Ernest is like also uh, orange juice cars uh you know it was just random stuff and it's like oh, okay i guess they were just like kids are gonna love this he will, uh, and then he had his own movies, yeah. which you know um, are mixed and his bag. Own Saturday morning show, so yeah, I mean that's right, yeah, I yeah. So like, he got his own show. Yeah, Ernest and the California Raisins are very unique in that they were excellent commercials for themselves and not so much for the product that they were selling. That is true. Um, people love them, not necessarily their products, though. Yep. Um, well, let's see. Um, I can't think of any other ones. I'm sure there must be more, but... Who do you think should have had a show that didn't? Um, the Taco Bell Chihuahua. Really? Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he sucks. Uh, actually, Joe Azuzu. Yes, Joe Azuzu. That would have been a great show. Oh, my God. He should have had his own show anyway, even with even without the character. He could easily play a character like Joe Azuzu without, uh, be, without being, you know, the copyrighted character. I yeah. was going to say... I, guess... the, I was going to say the Tang Lips... The Tang Lip. Oh, yeah. Huh. Wow. Well, t- uh, the disembodied Tang Lips? Yeah, I like the idea of facial features uh, striking out on their own. You know, maybe they team up with an eye and a nose. And, <laughs> and then you have this poor featureless person stumbling around trying to find their features as they search for fame and fortune. <laughs> well, I mean, like you said, uh, disembodied lips were the. Uh... now. God. <laughs> I, it's kind of like that Clive Barker story where uh, when hands start doing that. Oh, really? There's a, there's a Clive Barker story about that? Yeah, where it's this dude's hands just decide they don't want to be his hands anymore. So they like they, they just literally leave and they start a revolution <laughs> and people's hands just start like get chopping themselves off and like rebel against humanity. God, it's, it's like the red balloon with hands. It is definitely one of his weirder stories. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, um, also, I believe there was a Beetlejuice episode where Beetlejuice's feet did that because they yeah, got tired of him always. One, yeah. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, and multiple uh, stories where his head got lost or separated or went off on its own and his body had to follow along doing the, doing the Mr. Knucklehead thing with its hand to talk. Clearly, the uh, the um, you know the writer's fetish right there. Uh, <laughs> actually, no, that's not true. I think the writer's fetish on Beetlejuice was when something stinky happened, and then yes. you got the stinky foghorn noise. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh, Beetlejuice did something stinky. It's like he'll be like, "Oh, hey, babes, it's my my collection of stinky." things all <laughs> oh, the foghorn noise oh there you go uh, hey, you're just in time for the movie have some slop corn 
<laughs> oh my god, Beetlejuice. What a show. What a show. Um, we were just watching that recently. <laughs> it's like, it's funny, that show is definitely crack for a very specific kind of kid. You know? Yes. <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's very similar to the Garfield show, you know, where it was like, this is a show made for like kids who are, who, this is a show for clever kids. Not, yeah. not, no, slightly, slightly above their grade level kids. You yeah, know, not very slightly smart, but clever kids who can yes. kind of see around corners. Kids yes. who are starting to realize <laughs> that there's an entertainment industry behind the TV. And if you acknowledge that, they're going to be like, yes, I was right. People are making money on TV. Yes. <laughs> Man, what a time to be alive. I don't, do, they, do they make shows like that anymore? I don't know uh, what they make for kids nowadays. Uh, I whenever I, I feel like regular show might have been a little bit like that, but I never go watch that too closely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they show kids anymore because I, I don't watch television. Sometimes when I go to like the local like sandwich place, they're playing the TV, and it's just an endless loop of Mash and the Bear. So <laughs> I guess I assume that's what children today are watching. But well, I mean, I, I was watching TV when I was visiting Steph last week, but mostly we were watching uh, Spy X Family and Chainsaw Man, neither of which are very clever about how they're actually TV shows. <laughs> are those currently running TV shows? Um, I think Spy X Family is still running, yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'm uh, not familiar with that one. Uh, um, that's the one about a... Uh, Little psychic girl who uh, gets adopted by a spy to be part of his uh, his mission to infiltrate an expensive private school, and she gets him together with a uh, with a substitute wife, and neither of them know she doesn't know that her new husband is a spy, and he doesn't know that his new wife is an international assassin, and neither of them know that the child is a psychic. So it's kind of oh. it's kind of a farce. Huh, interesting. It seems like there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Well, um... Man, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know if there are any other clever shows. Um, I I, I feel like now, if they want to make a clever show, they're like, just make it for adults. Here, have an adult for adults. Kids don't need anything clever these days. Um... But I'm I'm saying that like like I know what I'm talking about. I haven't watched. I don't watch. I don't even own a television. I, yeah. I do actually, um, but <laughs> I don't know how I to do, work but just it. Just to play so. switch on. Yeah, we have a TV, and my wife works it. And sometimes I have to ask her, please turn on the TV. I don't know how to work it. I'm confused. <laughs> it's like you know, because it's, it's plugs through a bunch of different things, and then it's like you see, you don't want, you don't turn it on and see the TV. You turn it on, and then it's like. Do you want the Netflix or do you want the Shutter or do you want the Amazon Prime or do you want the Hulu? I don't know what any of these things are. That's why when I want TV, I watch it in increments on YouTube. Yeah, good thing YouTube like an works old person. Or we wouldn't be able to do this show. I mean, that's for sure. Um, it's like I watch everything on YouTube or Tubi, you know, mm-hmm. like an old person getting radicalized. Uh, but <laughs> oh man, I hope Tubi never goes uh, never goes fash. I, mean, I think it's owned by Fox, but the, possibly the good part of Fox. I'm not sure. Well, no, no ethical consumption under capitalism, as they That's say. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. but so anyway, anyway, where were Fearless we? Fosdick. Fosdick, yeah. Oh, Fearless uh, Fosdick. Fos- yeah, Fearless Fos- Fosdick. We finally get a little bit of the ultraviolence this toward the end. 
Yeah, there's some like beating up going on, and we do get to see the um, the the villains get like um, not killed, but like horribly mutilated. Yes, because as they're about to execute Fosdick, uh, he sees the machine and is like, "As my last request, I want to know how the machine works." And because he, the inventor, is like, "Well, I'm actually quite proud of it. Let me demonstrate it for you." And uh, it it doesn't work, and he's like, "Wait, what's going on?" And, of course, it doesn't work because, uh, remember that bubble gum from earlier? Fosdick stuck some gum into the works. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, I was hoping the dead mouse would come into play, but it didn't. <laughs> so um, now so yeah. we have Max and, uh, and what's his name? Brewster? Oh, Milton, I think. Milton Yeah, Moody. Max and Milton, both of them, you know, looking into the huge funnel. And, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously the whole kind of... Uh, Hansel and Gretel, see, it's not that hard to sit on a shovel kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then Fosdick kind of, he runs at them and knocks them into the machine. And I actually thought, like, oh, because we they're both leaning and looking in the machine. And it would be very funny if Fosdick did the uh, the, the crayon chin-chan pointed fingers together. I'm oh. going <laughs> to stick this in your asshole thing. Um, which I almost thought, like, for a second, is like, is he going to do it? But no, he just kind of kicks them and they well, fall into the machine. he does have a pointed finger all the time, so, yeah. He does. It, it would have worked. Yeah, he's pointing his finger. He's looking like he's ready to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but they go in the machine and they come out all flat like Judge Doom after getting hit with a steamroller, so. Yeah, which is... You know, pretty funny. And then you see them get up and walk, and you're like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. But then the, the chief shows up, and he's all like, oh, why are they so thin? And Fearless Fosdick is like, it doesn't matter how much crime you do, you always end up flat. Or worse to that effect. <laughs> yes. You know, how and... much, no matter how much money you make counterfeit, it'll, you'll always wind up flat broke or something to that effect. Yeah, and then it irises out on him, and it's one of those things where it's like, if this was, you know, a couple of years later, into the 50s, uh, when the art of television has kind of advanced by, by a millennium, because I really yeah. do, it is really weird watching, like, early 50s television and late 50s television, because, you know, they learned a lot about how to work the medium in those years, but, you know, he says the line and then it irises out, and if they had done it a few years later, they would have had a you know, a, a musical sting that would really sell that. Yeah. But they don't. It's just silence, you know? Um, which is actually the weirdest thing about this, because there is, like I said, so much silence, and, you know, you expect there should be, like, a musical score to this, but they, in 1951, a lot of things still weren't doing that. So you watch a lot of stuff, and there will be, like, long, weird silences in these old black-and-white movies. Yeah. Um, but... Um, you know, and then, so yeah, but again, they were just learning how to use the medium at that point. So, um, I think we're lucky in 1951 that they actually, that we weren't still just seeing like, uh, film stage plays. Yeah. Check this out. I just found an article about the, uh, about the marionette, uh, master puppeteer. Her name was Mary Chase Lombard. And it looks like she's, uh, done a, she had a long career in and out of this. And it looks like she's made she made puppets of the entire cast of Little Abner, not just uh, Fearless Fosdick, and also had a show. Also had a show starring Elsie the cow from uh, the from the uh, what, the cheese. <laughs> oh, I am yes. Uh, I have a very good friend who was who was obsessed with Elsie the cow. 
Um, and, uh, uh, collects right. Elsie the cow memorabilia. So, um, she was always, she was very excited about that Elsie puppet show. Oh yeah. This we're talking about, uh, we're talking about friend of the pod. Uh, oh shoot. I can only remember her real name. Uh, Orlina. <laughs> yes. Yes. Orlina. Yes. yes. Host, host of furry found footage. Yes. Which is, and, which is a great YouTube show. You should be watching if you're not already. That's right. And also, uh, I believe she actually talks about Elsie the Cow on it as well. So yeah. if you want to know more about um, uh, what, what's her name, Mary Chase Lombard's work on Elsie yeah. the Cow, that's the place to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wow. Yeah, these are that the, El- that the Elmer on Elmer's Glue. Well, for one thing, his name isn't El. Oh, no, his name is Elmer. But I just learned that it was a bull and not a devil. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I always um, thought it was a devil. <laughs> I, I knew it was a bull, and I always thought that the the that it was supposed to imply that like the glue is made out of bulls, you know, like because they always talk about making a horse into glue in the old days. Even though Elmer's glue is like literally what flour and water, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's just paste. Yeah. Um, you know, these are really nice puppets that Mary Chase did. Yeah, they're beautiful. Honestly, I really like the ones. You know, I especially like her alter ego, Judy Witch. You know, she knew what was up there. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, do they have a picture of Judy Witch here? That's at the bottom, yeah. Let me go down. Let me see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Um, wow. You know what? Also, uh, but I mean, these are these are some incredible puppets, especially for like 1941. A lot of love and care is put into these. Yeah, I love this barbershop quartet. Now, look at the... There's a uh, diagram of all of the mechanics uh, used to uh, work it underneath. Uh, you know, she, I can tell that she was kind of, she was, she seems like she was struggling a little against the the bond, the limitations of the marionette marionette uh, medium, and it looks like she started working on her own kind of uh, animatronics. Wow. Yeah. Um... I mean, a real innovator. I can't. I can't believe that um, fearless Fosdick puppets were made by a woman. Whoa! <laughs> Society has gone woke. Oh, oh man, that's that's the problem with like woman puppeteers. They probably just want to, you know, I don't know, talk about their feelings and stuff, and <laughs> you know. You can't have manly puppet shows anymore. Actually, you know what? I have to say that like this Daisy May puppet that she designed is really adorable as well. It really is. I I, I kind of like her uh, proportions for the characters better than the ones that uh, Cap himself drew. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, all these little Abner puppets uh, are really good. They have they really capture the feel for the comic strip characters, but are also like you know like that's not it's not always easy to translate a two dimensional you know, thing into 3d, but yeah, these really say, get it. They capture, he, they capture uh, little Abner better than Jim Hansen captured the wizard of id. Yeah. Um, and check out the, oh, her Bob Hope marionette too. Bob Hope. Where's the Bob Hope one? Uh, um, it's oh. up um, with Elsie, the cow. There's a Bob Hope marionette as well. Oh, it is. Oh, I didn't recognize him without the ski lift nose, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> they look like, they look like, they're delivering a baby with Elsie. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. 
So apparently, uh, it mentions that some of the things she did were um, uh, apparently seemed impossible at the time. Uh, she created an effect where marionettes seemed to uh, play ping pong, which was an illusion created through sound effects and the fast movements of the puppet's paddles. The effect required some fancy stringing, she recalled. The marionettes had to be strung from the side so their arms could cross over. Mary's expertise in sculpting believable personalities and creating novel special effects would become hallmarks of her later work. So this is, um, yeah, this is some good stuff. Yeah, it's this... This woman seems to have kind of been uh, lost to time. I've never heard of her before this, but I mean, if you're a, if you're in puppetry, you probably know and uh, deeply respect her. But she's not exactly a household name, so uh, yeah. a bit more of the the Matilda Gage effect here. Yeah, I would hope that if you are you know a big puppet person, that you're aware of your own heritage and yeah. uh, the great the great debt that you owe to a Mary Chase Lombard. Yeah. I'll, Cause, I'll say it says here that this show was kind of the pinnacle of her uh, her career, which is you know makes it so so disappointing that there was only one season. <laughs> yeah, um, do we know any puppet people? Actually, I'm curious. Do we know anyone who's like big into puppets? Uh, well, uh, let's see. Some among our friends, we know that uh, Poundy builds them. But, okay, uh, I'm just yeah. I'm just curious if anyone w- who would know like the history of puppets, and we could ask about like, hey, have you heard of uh, uh, Mary Mary Chase Lombard? Honestly, I know it's probably me, and I never heard of her. Well, you're more of a Henson scholar specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, you're you're a, and the you stuff be, that led up to him. Yeah, I was gonna say you're more of a. I was gonna you're you're more of a uh, you know. Your your major was puppetry with a uh, with a concentration in Henson studies. Yeah, Henson American <laughs> studies. Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't call me a muppet. I prefer to be called a Henson American. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I'm gonna I'm going to oh I know <laughs> I'm gonna go find Jay the Pal and demand that he uh, <laughs> recite the uh, filmography of uh, Mary Chess Lombard. That's a, <laughs> that's that's a joke for one person out there listening um anyway um fearless fosdick anything else we should say about fearless fosdick uh i i i kind of feel like fearless fosdick has more of a general appeal now than little abner does so if they wanted to bring fosdick back i think this would be the time yeah i feel like kind of uh police procedurals and, and spoofs thereof are kind of uh evergreen yeah. Um, I, I mean, the fact that Dick Tracy is still kind of in the public imagination. I mean, not like he's not like a thing, but I, I believe pe- people would be familiar with Dick Tracy. Yeah. If you, you showed know. people a picture of Dick Tracy, they'd know who it was. Yeah. You know, Whereas not as fast as if they showed if you showed them a picture of Flat Top or Prune Face. But right. Like Little Abner, though, I feel like only big nerds would know him. But yeah, but Dick Tracy is still like remembered so yeah so fearless fosdick would would still kind of slot really easily into the uh the modern imagination whereas little abner you'd have to explain a whole lot be like okay <laughs> listen i know because you know that's that is an interesting thing that like america was like batty for like hillbilly humor for about like 20 years you know in the 50s yeah. and 60s it was just was like, what they call the uh the rural purge they took right. all the shows with a farm theme off of TV, and if something wasn't on TV, it kind of ceased to exist. 
Yeah. You know, that is an interesting thing that, like, this very specific kind of uh, um, yokel humor that was very big, it just completely fell off the face of the earth. And we still have some, we have, like, you know, redneck humor these days, like redneck, but it's very different. You the know? hillbilly stuff only lives on in Snuffy Smith. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, like hillbilly, like hillbilly stuff today. Um, you know, you get a lot of hillbilly like in horror, and mm-hmm. you know, and you got like red, redneck humor. But like redneck humor is very different. Um, it feels very like you're talking more like I don't I know how hillbilly I, humor is warmer and. A redneck humor tends to be more kind of reactionary against these, you know, these fucking rednecks that I grew up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big thing. Is like a lot of it is, um, you know, like uh, I think you're right. Like the humor is a very much more. Yeah, it's it's a little more. Um, uh, I can I don't know if it's more pointed, maybe, but it's it's. Uh, I guess it depends. Like there's some of it is like. Some of it can be warm towards the subject, because I think, like, King of the Hill might be kind of that style, yeah. you know? No, King of the Hill, I mean, I mean, no one on King of the Hill is really, you know, a redneck or a, uh, or a hillbilly. They're all, they all live in the suburbs. You know, they're, they're, nobody's, you know, you've never seen Hank Hill make hooch or anything like that. No. Ironically, probably the person closest to that would be John Redcorn. <laughs> yeah. But, well, I feel like that's the thing is we don't have like it isn't like we watch. Well, tell if you're on television, like the, or in media, you generally they are you're not going to have poor people. Mm-hmm. If poor people appear on television, it's you know it's to make fun of them, uh, in and be if mean to them. If poor people appear on television, it's either to make fun of them or because it's a Christmas episode and you have to yes. you know show the joy of giving. So you have like. Fat Albert let a woman give birth in his uh, clubhouse or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like nowadays if you're going to do... exactly rich either. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, nowadays if you're going to make a show that's, like, relatively, like, that's in the same genre as old-timey hillbilly humor, it's usually, like, uh, it'll it's something like, oh, it takes place in the suburbs, and it's, like, people who are basically the same socioeconomic class as the viewing audience is assumed to be, which is kind of like, Oh, you know, middle class, which everyone is in mm-hmm. America or everyone believes themselves to be. And it's just like, but they will be like, but they'll have like, Oh, I don't know. Um, uh, they'll, they'll have conservative values or mm-hmm. something. That's basically what it is. Now we don't now have anything what, like, that's what duck dynasty was. There was these, yes, you know, yes, bunch of that bunch of rich assholes cosplaying as hillbillies. That's it. That's exact. Thank you. Yes. That is the modern thing. Um, it's not like you know in the old days where not not that not that little Abner was genuine actual hillbillies because he was a cartoon character, yeah. but it was you know the depiction of like these are actual like they live in a holler, they're poor, they you know they don't have <laughs> shoes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but we don't have anything like that. That yeah, like you said after the rural purge, they, that. Stop, that completely fell off the earth other than Snuffy Smith. Because, um, yeah. yeah, there is no... Uh, specifically, very often I think it was Appalachian humor, and yeah. that that specific Appalachian 
uh, that that iteration of the hillbilly seems to have vanished from American culture. Um, If we talk about hillbillies, we very often think of like I think the the usually people think of now I think the South maybe or um, that's not that's not hill country that's no country yeah yeah exactly yeah I mean that's where you get like but yeah exactly it's like but people don't I don't know people think of I mean we still. I guess people still. What about squidbillies? Does that count? That takes place in Georgia, so I still mm. think of them as Southerners. Well, I mean, it's yeah. funny because today we still mock and denigrate the Appalachians, and and like if you talk to people, everyone just assumes that everyone from the Appalachians is stupid. So it's not like we've it's not like we have become more woke in our feelings toward Appalachian people. We still are just every bit as shitty to them yeah. as we always have been. We just don't think they're funny enough to put on television anymore you know yeah, we just kind of it's forgot like, they existed for the most yeah part. it's like they're a little it's a little bit gauche we can still make fun of them you know to each other but putting them on television seems a little weird i don't know it, i'm sure this is there's a rich tapestry of yeah. of uh things that led up to this but anyway america uh america. what a country <laughs> looking back to the 90s uh, look, if you watch Liquid Television, there was a lot of that redneck humor happening. And it really did kind of come from a place of, of reactionary, like, this isn't what I am. So I really feel like an awful lot of people, you know, that, we, that we're probably still sh- seeing on TV to this day, like, say, Mike Judge, kind of, you know, drag themselves out of the trailer park through animation. Because mm, mm. yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, you know, we know we know Mike Judge be- because of Beavis and Butthead and Frog Baseball. That was the the thing that made him a millionaire. But he also made this cartoon called The Honky Problem. Mm-hmm. I've not heard of this was, one. Uh, yeah, it has this kind of uh, kind of uh, low IQ uh, country singer putting on this show in a trailer park parking lot. And uh, then he just, and after he finishes singing the song, he starts playing it again. <laughs> and <laughs> as the people in the people watching start yelling and giving him the finger, and that's when Mike Judge's voice comes over as a uh, on as a announcer saying, "This is a public service announcement. Before you have sex, please make sure that your partner is not related to you. Otherwise, this could happen." <laughs> oh. And again, you they they do they do love fucking their sisters. Yeah, that, out in the country, or, or or so they say. I mean, that never came up with little Abner. He doesn't have a sister. Well, you know, um, yeah, I I guess. Well, you know, they probably couldn't put it on the on television back then. Yeah, uh, but in the real America, they like fucking their sisters. Yep. Anyway, uh, Fearless Fosdick. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think they, they could bring this back, and I think it would um, I think it would fire the imaginations of a whole new generation. Um, yes. I think it would fire the imaginations just as, you know, a cannonball gets fired through uh, Fosdick's chest. Yeah.